Salvation and the church somewhere in history became separated from government and everyday life in a sense. The Christian world took off to build its own little world and left the rest of the world to itself. And yet the scripture says we should be in the world, but we're what? Not of the world. But we should be in the world, involved in the world, the things of the world. We should be the four leaders in that. Why? We are the light. And we lighten the way for those who live in darkness, that they can come from darkness to what? To light. A person who is saved and is learning within the church becomes a vital instrument in the building process of the family, of society, community, and a nation. But because we see our churches dying off and people have less interest in church or in God, we see families falling apart. We're seeing community and society breaking down. And we're seeing our nation, what? Totally eroding. Little by little. It's like the waves of sin hitting the banks or the shore. And every time it hits, it takes a little back, back out to sea with it. And it's happening little by little by little. And yet, we who are Christians, we may complain. But the question is, what do you do? We can do a lot of complaining. But what do we do? And remember what the scripture says in Proverbs 29. Where there is no vision, where there is no hope, where there is no revelation, the people what? Perish. Where there is really no goal or vision or dream, people perish and they fall into hopelessness. One of the best things for people to do is write down goals. But when you talk with people, how many people can define their goals? Can define what they desire to accomplish? Can desire, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. To define those things and then to run after them. Most of us live life by just whatever happens day by day. And we're always trying to adjust to what is happening in our lives rather than planning our lives and making our lives conform in a sense to us and our desires and our goals. We're always just trying to survive. We're just trying to make it. We're just trying to get over. We're always in this struggle. But the struggle is not our plans. The struggle is not our goals. The struggle is not our desire. And what is it that you plan in your heart? What are your desires? What are your goals? What are your interests? And are you willing to battle through that 
in order to obtain it, to reach it. Old folks used to say simply this. Something doesn't come about by doing nothing. There's a price for everything. If you're not willing to pay the price, you're not going to gain. You're not going to gain. You're not going to move forward. You're not going to achieve. You're not going to accomplish. If you're not willing to fight through it. That's why Paul says, I fought a good fight. Because living the Christian life was not something easy. Paul recognized it was a fight. And Paul girded himself with the armor of God. And Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. Are you fighting well? Have you grown tired of the fight? Have you grown frustrated with the fight? Have you lost hope because you got to fight every day? For a nation to fall into decay, and you study England, and its fall and its walk away from God. If you study Germany, and its fall away from God. The Netherlands, the Dutchess, how they fell away from God. If you go and, and just look at some of these other countries, other nations that have lost the reverence of God. If you just study different parts of Africa, how did it become Muslim when for years, boy, it was Christian? How are the Spaniards today? That at one point, if you follow Paul's missionary, that Paul was there. And there was an excellent growing church. But today is becoming very quickly Islam. A falling away. How is that happening? How is that happening in America? A country that was once known for his Christianity around the world. A country where religion was not attacked by the government. But that built a government out of faith and by the leadership of God. See, one of the worst things that dictators and kings didn't like about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that there is someone greater than man that man is to bow to than the king or the dictator. And when man recognizes, when people recognize there's somebody greater than the government, when there's somebody greater than president or king or dictator, it sets them free to run after righteousness. For a nation to fall into decay, to see life eroded and morals and values swept away or altered to a lower state of meaning, only has to forget God who called them into being.
we have to do is forget God. You can see that in a personal life, in a personal application. A person who forgets God and who will not run after God, who will not fall in love with God, who will not submit to God, you'll see a failure in their life. Oh, you may say they have money. But money will not make you happy. You can look at different people who had money. Why would a Michael Jackson die at 50? Money, success, everything. Dead at 50. Why would Elvis Presley? Hold on. And you begin to just look and see. Even in the Kennedy family. I wouldn't want to be a Kennedy because very few of them grew to be old, but yet wealthy. The whole process, money does not make us happy, but yet that's what we run after. Money. What we forget is that money is nothing but a stewardship. It's not mine. It's God's. And I'm just a steward over what God has blessed me with. And the blessings of this country is simply this. We have been in the past a steward over the things of God in this country. But now we think those things belong to us and not to God. And we have said in a sense to God, God mind your business and we'll mind ours. And I hear that when I hear a young girl in high school say, I'm tired of prayer. It's time for some action. I agree there has to be some action. But don't grow tired of prayer. A mother who stands up and says, I'm tired of the quiet moments after a shooting. That the whole country is supposed to have a quiet moment. But let's do something. In both statements, we are saying, let's put God out here and let's act. And what we need is the prayer. And God gives us the action to take to correct what is wrong. Because more guards in school, more laws on the books about guns, is not going to change the heart of an individual. And somebody will say, well, the young man in Springfield, Texas, who shot up the school... They even showed on news where he's in a Christian play and he's doing this and doing that. You can be in church, but that doesn't make you a Christian. And we need to get that straight. For a nation to exist, it must be built on righteousness. The righteousness of God. For a family to exist, for an individual to exist, they must build their life on the righteousness of God. For there's no other foundation that men can lay that has been laid by Jesus Christ and him alone. It's that nation, it's that life, 
It's that family. It's that society. It's that community. It's that nation. It all has to be built on the righteousness of God. Therefore, there is an ongoing teaching of God's righteousness in the life of a nation. And if you catch, and I'm going to read from you, from great American statements. Now, I want you to understand most of the men in this book that are mentioned, even George Washington and many others, they owned slaves. And yes, we can say that was not a righteous point. That was not a good point. But what I want you to catch in that is this. These men loved God, but God had to work in their life to correct their lives that they might serve him. And all the way down through the ages in America, we see God correcting, God correcting, God correcting. Why? We're growing. And in your life, you ought to see God correcting you, God correcting you, God correcting you. Why? You're growing. Why? Because we have this natural instinct to always lean on our own understanding, to always lean on our own reasoning, to always lean on our own knowledge. And God has to intervene and correct our thinking. That's why he says, renew your mind. For as a man thinketh, so shall he live. As you think, that's how you act. That's how you behave. And he says, renew the mind. That your thinking might be different. For a nation to exist, it must build on righteousness. For you and I to exist in a wholesome manner before God and pleasing to God. Our lives have to be built on righteousness. Therefore, there is an ongoing teaching that takes place from birth to death. The teaching of God's righteousness in the life of a nation takes place constantly. But when God's teaching no longer exists, and that's what's happening in America, we want to silence God. We don't want to silence the church because you can go on and have church without God being present. How many American churches bring Bibles to church today? Whether electronic or the book itself. How many of us just come to be entertained rather than being taught? How many of us really want to be challenged? Rather than just have our ears tickled and say, I heard something good today, but no application, no follow through, no performance, no doing of it. For James says, do not be just a what? A hearer of the word, but become a what? A doer of the word. And that's where it becomes difficult for us. Because in doing, we have to make sacrifices. In doing, we have to change from our own perspective in doing. Let me read you something from here and, and see if you can relate to it. There's a lot of good areas that I would like to read, but as I was going back through this, I think the conclusion really brings it the whole 
heart that we can see it. And, and if you ever want to get this book, get it, read it online. Great American Statements and Heroes. And what it does, it gives you some of their prayers. It shows you their life. But it also allows you to know their imperfections also. Because a lot of founders of America had a lot of things wrong in their life. But that does not take them away from believing in God. But God still had to do correction in their life. The author here writes, In the 12 years since I began researching and writing about America's true history and heritage from original source, I found myself continually being thwarted and opposed with obstacles and hindrances. What seemed to me would be considered a purely patriotic and non-threatening endeavor to any American resulted in a stirring up of the err and resentment of officers whose cooperation was needed in the task. Gradually, over the years, as I met with the same spirit of opposition again and again, it came to be my belief through through evidence presented that this was a well-orchestrated, master-minded agenda. Now catch this. To destroy America through eradication of Christianity from her history, her culture, her civilization. Can you see it little by little? To remove Christianity from American culture. And we're seeing it. As generation, generation, generation pass. We're seeing less people in America having any desire to know or to hear the truth, the truth about Jesus Christ. I'm not saying they're not hearing something about Jesus. The question is, are they hearing the truth? Are they hearing the truth? This week, Pastor Travis and I, he came over to get some keys. And this gentleman, for the first time, he's walked past my house a couple of times. But this is the first time now that we had just a little bit of a conversation. And it wasn't long. And he told me that he lived right over here in Safestine Tower. And I asked him, one or two? And he said, two. And I said, boy, uh, we have a Bible study over there first Friday of every month. Glad to see you. And then he asked, are you this or that? And uh, he said, I'm Jehovah's Witness. And I said, well, the main key is always Jesus Christ. And then he left on. And then Pastor Travis said, why didn't you engage him more? Because he's believing in the wrong Jesus. I said, because this is our first conversation. If I would have attacked him, and I would have dropped that atom bomb on him, what might be our next conversation? <laughs> but what we've done now, we least open the door for what? A non-threatening 
conversation that when he walks past again, how you doing, man? How's life? And then we see how God leads us to the next step, to the next step. The Lord says, if you want a friend, show yourself what? Friendly. Build the friendship. Because in America, we have forgotten. You earn the right to be heard. Just because you have knowledge or you got something behind your name, people don't respect that. People respect you as an individual as you are able to step a little bit more into their life, a little bit more into their life, and you're not trying to knock their door down, but you're waiting for them to kind of like open the door for you. Now you're earning the right to speak into a person's life. When a person comes back with a well, what do you think about it? Well, how do you see it? What are they doing? They're inviting more information to come from you. Not you just, boom. But if God the Holy Spirit is at work, guess what? The desire for more information is going to come forth. Because, see, he knows where I stand now, and I know where what? He stands. I don't need to have the boom, but I need to have. What did Nicodemus do? He came by night. Why? He wanted to know what? A little bit more. And what you want to do for Christians is this. Just stand firm where you are. God will do the drawing. He says for you and I to be ready in season, out of season, to give an answer for the hope that is where? In us. That we're able to stand. He says after you've done all else, just what? Just stand. See? I don't have to do battle with anybody. But I've got to prepare myself to give an answer to every man. Of the hope that is in me. And I'm giving that answer. And I become all things to all men. That I might what? Win some. And our nation and our church. Even to the world. We got to get back to that place. Well we're not ready to drop a bomb on you. We're not ready to go to war with you on first thing. But that we really are ready to communicate and talk and share. Reading again from that great statement, boy, do we believe that something's happening in America to erode Christianity? How many of you really believe Satan is the God of this world? And if he really is the God of this world, he's fighting against God landing his troops on this shore. (laughs) This is his home. This is his world. And he's fighting against it. Now, go with me to Proverbs 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Go to verse 14 with me. Ask yourself if this is true 
about America. We continue to take Ten Commandments out of the courtroom. Really wasn't talking about Jesus Christ, but it was talking about a moral life. Whether it be a person who believes in Christ or doesn't believe in Christ. Ten Commandments is basically talking about a moral life. We continue to take away the privilege of prayer or anything in school. And for most of school cannot stop you from praying. It's how you pray. Where you pray. Can't really stop you from praying. Can't stop you from having a Bible study after school. Not doing school hours. But after school. On public property. But Christians have given way to so much. That the only thing we've gotten used to in the last few centuries is backpedaling. Because we don't want to engage. We don't want to engage. In Proverbs 11.14, it says simply this here. For lack of guidance, a nation falls. For lack of what? Guidance. Now, apply that to your own life. For lack of guidance, a family falls. For lack of guidance, a man falls or a woman falls. Scripture tells us that older women should teach who? Younger women. But if you don't want to be taught, what's going to happen in life? You fall. Men, Paul says to Timothy, find men of like-minded and pour your life into them that they might grow in Christ and do likewise of what you're doing. The whole process, men are teaching men, women are teaching women. We're teaching each other. Why? The sword sharpens each other. But when teaching goes lacking, then guidance go lacking. When teaching is out there, you don't know how to live. You're coming off the top of your head with the best that you can do. And let me share something with you. It's not good enough. If I would have lived from the top of my head, I would not be married today. If I were to live the type of life that I thought, boy, I've seen so many other of my brothers and and sometimes I sit and I say to myself, my first five brothers all wound up in divorce. And I had that, why? And it's all the common answer, not being at home, being somewhere else. <laughs> you just begin to look at life itself. And if you look at life and you look at it and be honest with yourself, you'll see your mistakes in other people. The question will be this. Will you correct it? Will you correct it? Life is not that much different for us. We see and we hear how we're living. But the question is, will I search out to see if I'm right? Or will I just assume that I'm right? For a man sees himself right in his own what? His own eyes. His own thinking. But the Lord says the end of that is destruction. 
And he says, for the lack of guidance, a nation falls. Go to Proverbs 14, 34. For the lack of guidance. Then when you get in 34, listen to what it says. The righteousness exalts a nation. When you live righteously, it exalts your own life. When you live righteously, a nation is exalted. But when a a nation legally makes it right for you to sin, then it's on its own road of destruction. Two can't be right. God can't be right by saying marriage is honorable and sex is only honorable in the marriage bed. Either God is right or man is right. Marriage is nothing. Go at it. Do your thing. One is wrong. One is right. One is wrong. One is right. This one over here takes restraint until you're married. This one over here, that old song, Do Your Thing. No, no. Some of them old songs were the wrong songs we listened to. Shake a tail feather. And it was shaking. And folks was watching. If loving you is wrong, you're a married woman. But if loving you is wrong, Satan was teaching us a powerful thing. And the whole process is that sometimes we forget Satan teaches also. And in his teaching, we find ourselves living it out. Now, the same thing should take place in the Christian realm. In the biblical teaching, you should find yourself or discover yourself living out what God has asked of you. And he just simply says there, now, righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Now, we have grown as a nation to a point that sin no longer is an embarrassment. Everybody cuss. Even a little three-year-old, when they cuss, we kind of laugh at it. We had a two-year-old in the daycare talking about, oh, you, oh, you, oh, you. Couldn't even not, but understood what he was trying to say. At two years old. But he constantly hears that in an environment. And a sin destroys the people. Now watch something. As a child, if you're rebellious, remember what Scripture says. You'll weep what you sow. You sow all your rebellion. Then you have children. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to reap what you have And you're out here asking, what's wrong with them? Why they act that way? Well, who they been watching? Who they been learning from? 
And the whole process is, at some point in life, the family curse has to be broken. Brian, a young man that I discipled for a year, and you've heard me talk about Brian before down in Youngstown. Only thing Brian really understood was games. And going through Bible study for about a year with Brian, him and the young lady who he was living with, they asked me a question. They said, Pastor, are we living in sin? They've been living together almost eight years and did not know they were living in sin. Because so much of the world does it today. And they accepted it. And I didn't go in there saying, you're living in sin, you're doing this, or you're doing that. But as we went through Scripture, and as we went through God's Word, they asked the question, are we living in sin? And they both were the first in their families to ever get legally married. From grandma's back. Everybody just shacked up and lived together. They were the first to get married. And that really hit me that they would be the first. Because you wouldn't think that we have fallen that far. But understand, we're living in a generation today. Mama never married. Grandma never married. I don't see any need in marriage. And we're seeing three and four generations without understanding God's plan for marriage. We're celebrating. People, and if you're here with children, and you have one out of wedlock, my daughter went through that. We went through it. We had to go through a process. It is a process. But the thing is this here. That child is still... Of God. God gave life. The fruit of the womb is God's reward. But give that child a running chance by mom and dad both being there. In a Sunday school class, we had about a nine year old girl ask this question Is my mom a whore? And the Sunday school teacher didn't know how to answer that and didn't answer it and came and got me. Because in that girl's mind, she's seen men come in and out, men come in and out, men come in and out. And what we do not realize is this, the psychological effect that we put on the minds of children. Because no child wants to see their mom as a whore. They understand that word. My grandmother, boy, loved her dearly. Spoiled me. But one day after my grandmother passed, I was going through some of her private stuff. Grandma, you, you'd have been married five times and not one divorce. I asked my Aunt Lizzie one time, why were there so many divorces? And she said, it's cheap to marry, costly to divorce. (laughs) But the whole process is this. 
I'm thinking one way. She's living another way. And that causes confusion up here and here. Because I love her. My grandma lived a... I mean, she was a good looker. When you look at some of her, she, she had that Indian hair, never put a hot comb in her hair. Nicely shaped. Grandma was something else. But she was also something else in the world. And you know, that's hard to wrestle with. That's hard to wrestle with. And we all have to wrestle with some auntie, some mom, some grandma, somebody in that fashion. Because, see, we don't want to see them as living what? Wrongly. So we'll come up with, my grandma was a godly woman. Well, grandma was godly, but she was shacking. Grandpa was a godly man. But grandma, grandpa was slipping up because he got some folks out here that were not of this woman here. And those are hard things to deal with. And that's why he says righteousness exalts a nation or it exalts a life. But sin is a disgrace to a person's life or to a family. Have you ever seen how sin hurts a family? How it devastates a family? It's a disgrace to any people. Go to Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. What I want you to pick up with me is the forgetfulness. The forgetfulness. America's good for maybe remembering God on Sunday. But not long after church is over, we're back into what? That old life. We're back into doing what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it. The last thing on people of God is this. What is God's will for my life right now? If everybody in this room would just commit to do God's will and God's will only, we could turn the world upside down. We could change West Akron. But it'd have to be a total commitment to God. And that's what God is waiting for with his own people. That you are totally committed And you're giving yourself 100% to him and his will. In Deuteronomy 8, in verse 11, he comes out and he says this here. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. And what's happening in America? We're trying to erase God out of our history, out of our minds. We're trying to change our standards from his standards to our standards. We're trying to say, oh, it's not that bad. Sin is bad. I don't care if you want to call it big sin, little sin. Sin is bad. Because it brings a disgrace to a people, to a family, to an individual. 
And he simply says, be careful. Or are we really being careful today? Not to dishonor God's name. Are we really being careful in how we live and speak and how we show kindness and love to other people? Are we really being careful when it comes to the things of God and we're treasuring them and we're holding them in high esteem? Or have we allowed them to slip? Have we allowed them to, to come down and not you too? Oh yeah, I believe in God, but how do you live? How do you live? And he goes on and he says, boy, that you do not forget the Lord your God. When you forget God, you can do anything you want to do. If you let your mind forget God and not hold to the commandments and standards of God, you wind up here doing anything you want to do, and then you ask this question. How did I get here? Or you ask this question. Why did I do that? Or you ask this question. How did this happen? Because you were not paying attention to what? God's word. You were not paying attention to the God that you say that you love. Because, see, the convicting power of God does this. When you're about ready to step the wrong way, God will warn you up here. When you begin to even have the wrong thought, that's why the scripture tells us in Corinthians, bring every thought that exalts itself against God into captivity. Why? If you don't bring it into captivity and put it under Jesus Christ, you wind up following what? Your thoughts. Oh, he loves me. Oh, he loves me. Oh, she loves me. And you wind up doing the wrong thing and you ask yourself after it's over, why? 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 Because you did not hear or listen, or sought the guidance of God. So even as a nation, the question is, are we forgetting the Lord our God? Go to verse 14, same chapter. Go to verse 14. He says, boy, get these eyes. Then your heart will become proud. Is America proud? America think what it has achieved, they've done it through their own wisdom, their own knowledge. Yes, we always attach that little thing. God bless America. God bless America. But that's after we toot our own horn. And then in our own lives, pride cometh before a fall. Now, understand this point. God does not mean for you not to be prideful. And sometimes in the church, we're so heavily talking about pride and we're knocking pride down. Be proud that you are a child of God. 
Be proud that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Be proud that the anointing of God or God's will can rest on your life. Be proud of who you are in Jesus Christ. But selfish pride and the pride of this world is nothing but damnation. But being proud of who you are in Christ, that's part of when we understand who we are and we're proud of who we are, we don't want to do anything lesser than what will cause God's glory to shine through us. And we want that. We want that. That God's glory shines through us. That people can see it. People can imitate it. And people can believe if they can live that way and they can prosper and they can laugh and have fun serving the Lord, I can do it too. The Christian life is not a boring life. A Christian life is not a bunch of whole bunch of rules. Those rules are there just to keep us safe. Just like you put rules on your child. Don't touch the stove. Don't run out in the street. Don't do this. Don't do that. You put all these rules on your child not to be mean towards them, but to keep them what? Safe. God does the same thing. He's concerned about us. And he gives us the rules. And he says, your pride then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You, we can forget from where we come because of our what? Our pride. And our pride tries to tell us what we have accomplished, not what God has done through us. Go to verse 19. Let me close out here. And he says it again. If you forget the Lord your God. Now what you want to circle in your Bible or take note of? If. If is always a conditional issue. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them. I testify against you today that you will surely be what? Destroyed. If America does not turn, if America does not repent, if America does not rediscover the God who has made them great, we will be destroyed. And when you follow every country, every nation has been destroyed, most of them have been destroyed by self-afflictions. Not from the outside, but from the inside. Just read a little further. Like the nations, the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. 
the only reason America will be destroyed is because it will not obey the Lord. The only reason a life, a person's life is destroyed is because they will not take heed or obey God. Only reason a family, and let me get right down home here now, the only reason that the divorce rate in Christianity is edging to be higher than the world because less of the world is marrying. So the divorce rate for them is going down. But Christians are still marrying. But when they show divorce, divorce is climbing because many of them Catch this. Say I believe, but will not adhere to what God says. God says I hate divorce. If he hates it, shouldn't I hate it? (coughs) Last illustration, we'll close. A young man and a young woman in my office counseled with them for about Four weeks. He owned the Highland Theater at that time. And he shared with me how he wanted to bring concerts in, all the things that he wanted to do at that theater. And his wife was a school teacher up in Cleveland. And he had educated her, put her through school in that position. But somewhere in those two professions, they lost sight of each other. And I remember the last thing I said to her. Right now, he's so angry. Don't drop the kids off. She went that Tuesday and I got a call from Akron General Hospital to rush down. He wanted to see me. But before I got there, he had expired because he shot himself. But he also shot his wife on the front porch. Sin will destroy. We have to understand that. Wrong living will destroy not only the one who is doing the sin, but it affects other loved ones also. God wants to build a nation. God wants to build a life. God wants to build a family. But God only knows one way of doing that. People say, well, God's not limited. Yes, he is. There's only one way that that can happen if I build it on righteousness. I build it on righteousness. He has to prepare me to do what is right for Elaine. 
He has to prepare me to do what is right for my children. He has to prepare me to live right as an example for her and the children. He has to prepare her to live right as a godly woman and a godly wife and a godly mother. That she can be an example to me and also to her children. And we both then are an example to the community or to those around us. God only knows one way to build a nation, to build a family, to build a society, to build a community. And that's on righteousness and nothing else. Father, we're in trouble in our country. Because every man does see himself right in his own eyesight. And we have not been able to really define what is righteousness. And even the church is struggling with that. Righteousness. We're struggling with redefining what sin is and what sin might not be. We're struggling with it. And Lord, I pray that we would come to a place that your word becomes absolute truth to us. And we know how to discern your word. And we as a people then would know how to live righteously and pleasing in your sight. Lord, when we talk about American government, we're the government. We're part of America. And Lord, I pray as a nation that, Lord, you would correct our morals. That, Lord, you would give us leaders before they pass laws and before they enter into legislation that would pray about that legislation to see if it fits within the will of God for this country. I pray, Father, that you would restore this country because, Lord, we're losing and sending out missionaries into other parts of the world. And even like South Korea and Africa, some countries are sending missionaries now to the United States because they see the destruction of our unmoral life, our life in the way in which we live. They're seeing the decay that is taking place in our families. They're seeing what a drug life does in our lives. Though we're passing the law of marijuana and marijuana recreation and everything else, Lord, we're losing it. There's a place for that in medicine, yes, but not in recreational drugs. There's a place for sex, but it's in marriage, not outside of marriage. There is a woman and there is a man. There is not two of the same sex cohabitating together. There is not a big lie and a small lie. 
is all mine. Lord, may you move upon us as your people. May you give us vision. May you give us hope. May you give us goals. May you give us desires to work within our family and with the people that we work with and those who are in our space, Lord, in whom we can touch. But Lord, first of all, convince us. Convince us that we can make a difference by what we share and how we live. Make it so that we can say as for I know in whom I believe and we will not back down from it. Help us, Lord, to raise your banner. Help us to raise your standards and not back down from it. And Lord, we'll give you praise In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare for the offering, let me just share with you. Next month, I'm hoping we can raise an additional $800 to $1,000. I mean, we all got to kind of like chip in a little bit more. Tell you why. I want to put additional parking back here in the back. For that when people come, they don't have to park on the grass. They don't have to be in the mud. But that they can be out of it. Now you say, Pastor, we're not that big. No, but when we have something here, people wind up getting stuck in the mud. People wind up having to park in mud. And we want to do away with that. And the only way I know to do it is if we change our parking lot. So would you pray about it and ask next month, Lord, would you give a little extra? Lord, would you restrain me from my spending that I might be able to do this? Lord, would you guide me in my giving? Father, we thank you that we have this privilege to give back to you a portion of that which you have blessed us with. And we recognize that every good and perfect gift coming from above. And we recognize that the doors of this church are only open by the name of Jesus Christ and his goodness to us. May you continue to bless this church. May we continue to be a blessing to the community. May we continue to teach and to challenge that you might be glorified. Take our offering, Lord. Multiply it and use it to further your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Special music. And next week we'll deal with all that is necessary for evil to triumph is that good people do what? Nothing. That's all it takes.